good morning. Happy Easter. It's good to see all of you guys here. In case uh, you can't tell, you who are members who've been here a while, if you can't tell by the fact that I'm dressed up by like three measures more than I normally am, uh, it's a good day. It's a special day. Uh, we're really glad that all of you guys are here to celebrate with us, um, to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and King. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love the songs that we sang this morning. I love the songs we sing every Sunday morning, but I love the songs that we sing this, sang this morning because they are, they are reminders of the gospel. They are reminders that Jesus died on the cross for our salvation, that Jesus rose from the grave, and what news is better than that? Like, what more reasons do we need to sing, to praise the Lord, to celebrate what he's done in our lives and in our world? Uh, and so, for those reasons, uh, I'm so excited to share with you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. It says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for our salvation. And thank you that you didn't leave him in the grave, that he is not still dead, but God, that he is alive. That Jesus Christ is alive today and is seated at your right hand and is interceding and pleading on our behalf. Thank you, Father, for the gospel, for the good news of salvation that is available to us. We pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word, that we would hear what it is that you have to, to, to tell us, God, that we would have ears that are open and ready to receive a heart that is ready to apply what it is you're teaching us in your word this morning. We love you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, the sports fans who are in this room will probably remember Super Bowl 51 played in 2017. Uh, what happened in Super Bowl 51 is two teams came together, the Atlanta Falcons, who were only in their second playoff or Super Bowl appearance ever, and they faced off against the New England Patriots, who were, you know, the dynasty with, with Tom Brady uh, as their quarterback. I mean, this, it's a juggernaut in uh, football teams. Uh, but they faced off in the Super Bowl, and the game is more affectionately known as its nickname, the 28-3 game, right? Because the Falcons, the, the, the team that hadn't been to a Super Bowl in such a long time, had never won a Super Bowl, they jumped out to an early start on the, on the Patriots. In fact, they were up 21-3 to at halftime. And then when the third quarter started, they scored another touchdown, and they went up 28-3 to on the New England Patriots. And at that point, if you were watching the game, you knew, like, this game is over. I mean, this game is, is boring. It's a blowout. The Falcons were, were firing on all cylinders. The Patriots were really struggling. And so, so all of us were bored. Some people were just turning off the TV because it's just an awful game. I have a friend who's a Patriots fan. We were sending him texts like, can't win them all. You know, like, better luck next year. Uh, at least your team's been to the Super Bowl this millennium. That was a Cowboys reference for those of you that didn't get that one. Uh, you know, so we're sending him these texts. Well, 
down 28 to 3, the New England Patriots and Tom Brady did the impossible, seemingly impossible. They scored a touchdown, and then they scored another one, and then they scored another one, and they tied the game 28 to 28, and they went on to win the game in overtime on a touchdown. The crowds were going crazy. Like everyone at home who still was watching the game, who hadn't turned it off, were, were losing their minds. People were quickly turning on their TV again, and they're getting texts like, hey, they're coming back. And so people were losing their minds. Sports writers were having to rewrite their headlines because they'd already written out this article, Falcons blow out the Patriots in the Super Bowl. They got to erase all of that and rewrite their headlines. I mean, it was pandemonium. We were receiving text messages from that friend like, I guess you can win them all, you know? And <laughs> It was insane. When all odds were against them, when it seemed like all hope was lost for the Patriots, they had a stunning reversal. And as good as that reversal was, as incredible as it was, it pales in comparison to the reversal that happened on Easter Sunday. And I'm not just talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, although obviously, scientifically, that's an incredible reversal. Jesus went from death to life. Astounding reversal there. But that's not all that I'm talking about. See, if you've grown up in the Bible Belt where there's a, a church on every corner, you've probably grown up with the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, and if you're like most people who live in the Bible Belt, uh, then you probably haven't put much thought into that fact since last Easter, and then the Easter before that, and the Easter before that. Because when we talk about Jesus rising from the dead, for us, it's just this, this nice, triumphant story of how one guy, Jesus, was dead and is now alive. And that's, that's the full extent of what we think about it. But the reality is that the resurrection of Jesus is not just about Jesus being alive today. It doesn't just tell us that Jesus reversed his own death. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that contrary to the way everything in our dying, decaying world works, eternal life is available. Contrary to the way that everything that we see operates, eternal life is available for us in Jesus Christ. That if Jesus could rise from the dead, then so can we. So don't miss this. This is what I want us to see this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. You and I can live under the shadow of death, or we can join Jesus in his victory over it. You and I can live under the threat and the fear and the fate of death and eternal separation from God, or we can join in Jesus in walking out of the tomb into eternal life. I'm going to explore that idea, uh, the two ideas in this passage. The first thing I want to, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want us to see is this. Now, because of Adam, we return to dust. Because of Adam, we return to dust. Now, I want you to think with me for a second all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Now, if, if some of you, this may be your very first time in church, uh, and some of you may not have been at church in a really long time, so you might be uh, unfamiliar with Genesis or a little rusty in what it says, don't worry. Uh, what we learn in Genesis, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what we learn is that God created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made everything that we see. Everything that we can feel and touch. He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He created the water and the land masses. He created animals to populate the planet. He, he, he filled the sky with birds that could rest in the trees. So I want us to think back to that moment in creation. Right before God had created people and everything in the world was just perfect. 
Like whether you believe in creation or not, you can picture the world that I'm talking about, a pristine creation. Everything in the world is perfect, a, a paradise. Right, where the, the, the waves are crashing on the newly formed shoreline and the, the birds are singing a song in the distance resting in a newly created tree. And, and it's just a paradise. All the animals are in harmony living together because God supplied all of their needs from his creation. It's just an absolute paradise. My family used to go to the Smoky Mountains. I used to live in Tennessee. And when I lived in Tennessee, we would travel to the Smoky Mountains at least once a year as a family. Uh, and if you get up really early and you go hike in the mountains in the Smoky Mountains, I feel like you can catch just a glimpse of what I'm talking about here, this paradise. You get to walk around, you hear the birds, you hear the, the leaves crunch under your feet, and it just seems quiet and peaceful and still, and everything seems right. Like, that's this paradise that God created. God had a, he, he made a masterpiece, right? A plus for his workmanship. He made a paradise, but it wasn't done yet. God decided that he wanted to create one more thing, a special creation. A creature that he could have a special relationship with, that he could pour out his love and his kindness and his joy and his grace upon, his blessings upon, one that would receive all of that and live in a perfect harmony with the Lord. So what God decided to do is he brought the dust of the ground together, he formed it into a human body, and he breathed into it. In Genesis 2, verse 7 says that man became a living being. God created man out of the dust of the ground. Now, again, if you don't believe in creation, you're new to, to church, this, this probably sounds like a strange account to you, but, but bear with me because the fact that we were created out of the dust is important for what happens just one chapter later. The fact that God formed us out of the dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being is important because the very next chapter, God gives man a choice. He gives mankind a choice. He says, you can follow me and experience the blessings of a relationship with the creator of the universe. Or you can reject me and do your own thing. We find out in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve decided to rebel. They decided to reject God and to do their own thing. But the problem is, when you reject God, you also reject everything that comes with God. God is the creator. God gives life and joy and hope and peace. And so when you re reject God, you're rejecting limitless joy. You're rejecting overwhelming peace. You're rejecting the source and author of life. God creates and gives life, but sin and rebellion against God only destroys and brings death. And so when Adam and Eve rejected God and rebelled against him, God said in Genesis chapter 3, 19, he confronted them about the rebellion. He says, you will return to the dust of the ground from which I made you. Because you've rejected me, I made you out of the dust. I gave you life. You're going to return to it. So now, thanks to Adam and thanks to Eve, we have the threat of death looming over us our entire lives. That one day we will return to the dust from which we were created. Genesis 3.19 is a reversal of the whole creation process. And we will one day return to dust. We see in the beginning of verse 21, by one man came death, beginning of verse 22. In Adam all die. Now, this shouldn't be news to any of you, right? I, I hope I'm not shocking you with the news that, yes, one day we're going to die. 
Like we're all, we're all very familiar with the concept of death. I remember years and years ago uh, being at my great-grandmother's funeral. It was the first funeral I'd ever been to. I remember sitting in the room. I was, I was kind of in a corner, and, and the casket was over there. And I remember watching with, with tears in my eyes as, as my great-grandfather, her husband of 65 years, said goodbye to the love of his life. And, and, and the pain of loss just reverberated in the room and, and tears were, flo- uh, were flowing because it's sad, it's, it's painful. And in that moment, the, the finality of death just hit me. That there will be a day when I'm going to be like that. There will be a day that we're going to die. That's not news. <laughs> and what makes, the, what makes death worse What makes returning to the dust worse for us is the fact that God created us as everlasting beings. So returning to the dust when our bodies decay, that does not mean that we cease to exist. But it does mean that we cease to experience even glimpses of the love of God. See, what happens is that you and I as rebels against God, deserve to spend forever separated from God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, those who rebel against God, those who are sinners against God, who reject his rule and his authority, will be separated from God for all of eternity. And so this life is the closest that we ever deserve to get to heaven. That the little glimpses of good things in this life are are just foretastes of how great heaven could be. But that's the best that we're going to get. Because when we die, we will no longer experience even those glimpses or taste of the goodness and the love of God. Here in this life, we see rain poured out on the ground so that food is provided by God. Here in this life, we see people loving each other as, as just a faint shadow of the love that God has for us. Here in this life, we see people extending grace to one another. It's just a a faint shadow of the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God. But when we die, when our our body decays, when our our lifeless body returns to the dust, we will no longer experience those those, those faint shadows. And we will truly know what it's like to live separated from the God who loves you, who provided peace and joy and life. You and I deserve to spend forever separated from God. And everything in you, I truly believe this, everything in you knows that what I'm saying is true. Everything in you knows that we will return to dust. Everything in you knows that we will die. I have a a college professor who uh, had a 20-year-old McDonald's hamburger. 20-year-old McDonald's hamburger. So she, she learned, she read in some newspaper article a couple decades ago that, that McDonald's burgers don't, uh, don't decay. They don't rot. They don't get moldy uh, because of all the, the stuff in them, the, the burgers and the fries. And so, so my professor went and, and ordered a meal from McDonald's. I think it was a Happy Meal, which makes it slightly more ironic. But she orders a Happy Meal and gets the burger, gets the fries, and puts it up in her closet. And then now every semester, she goes to her closet, she gets down the Happy Meal, and she brings it to class as like the weirdest show and tell ever, and she pulls it out, and it's this burger that, that looks like it's edible, <laughs> like it came from the, from the kitchen yesterday. Now, in all fairness to McDonald's, it's been 20 years, they may have changed their process, you know, they, maybe, it, maybe their food gets moldy and, and gross now, I don't know. But at, at this point, like it looks pristine, like it just came out of the, the kitchen, 
It's also, I don't really know why she did it. It was a business law class, you know, and so it has nothing to do with the Civil Rights Act. But, you know, it's just a fun side hobby of keeping old McDonald's burgers. But, but the reason that burger was so noteworthy is because we are used to everything in this world rotting and decaying. It is normal for everything in this world to, to, uh, to die and to fall apart. And so when you see this McDonald's burger that seems to defy uh, what's going on in the world, when, I mean, that's, that's like a cockroach in a nuclear explosion, just totally unaffected by what's going on around it. I mean, when you see this going on, it, 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 it strikes us as odd because everything in us is used to dying and decaying things in our world. Romans 8.22 says that all of creation is groaning. Because it's been affected by our sin. When sin entered the world, death entered with it. And so everything in the world is dying and decaying. decaying. Everything in the world is broken. And we're used to seeing the rottenness and the decay and the brokenness. We are used to seeing that. And we have come to grips with the idea that one day we will no longer be here. That we too will undergo that dying and that decaying. And we too will return to the dust from which we were made. And everything in us, our sense for justice, screams that death can't be the end. Some people hurt and abuse other people, and they seem to get away with it their entire life. Some people seem to have this incredible lifestyle, but they're oppressing other people, and, and then they get away with it. And there is no justice in this life. And everything in us screams that that can't be right, that there has to be justice. That there has to be something more, that death can't be the end of it because no justice was served. The writer of Ecclesiastes in the Bible says that God has placed eternity on our hearts. Which means God has given us a taste, a glimpse to look forward to the eternity that he created us for. That God created us to be everlasting beings, to live for all of eternity. And so our sense of justice is screaming at us that there's more than this to life. That, that returning to the dust is not the end. And I know that because of Adam, we return to dust. Because of Adam, we will spend forever separated from God. Because like Adam, you and I have all chosen to reject God, and to rebel against him, to do our own thing. And one day we will stand before God, and we will be separated from God for all of eternity because of the choices we've made. Now before I get to the good news, and there, there is good news... <laughs> That is not the end of the sermon. Like, all right, amen, go home, you know? Like, there is good news. But uh, before I get to the good news, I, I do want to, I want to stop. And, and I want to, I, I want you to contemplate this for just a second. Like, for some of you in here, this is your fate. For some of you in here, you will spend forever separated from God. You are headed for death that you will return to the dust of the ground, and when that happens, you will be separated from God for all of eternity. And, and don't tell me that, oh, I'm just a good person. God wouldn't do that to me. 
right? It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how moral you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. It doesn't matter if you've checked a box on a card. It doesn't matter if you've walked an aisle. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. If you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you have never turned your life over to him as Lord, then you are not following Jesus. You are still in control of your life, and you will spend forever separated from God. There are billions of people in history who were good people. And then when they died, they realized they gave themselves way too much credit. Because in the eyes of God, every single one of us are rebels. Every single one of us are evil. Most of you would probably not categorize yourself as evil. Right? I would, I would, I'm slightly offended if someone's like, you are evil. You know, like that's, that's not how most of us categorize ourselves because we're comparing ourselves to some truly evil people in the world. And on that scale, we're like, we're doing pretty good. But in reality, every single one of us have rebelled against God and rejected him as king. So on God's scale, one that demands perfect obedience and perfect love for other people, every single one of us has failed. So on God's scale, every single one of us are wicked and evil, and every single one of us will die and return to the dust and spend forever separated from God. Don't sit there and think, oh, he's got to be talking about somebody else. <laughs> he's got to be talking about other people in this room who've done some really bad things. I may be talking about you. There is good news, that there is salvation, there is hope, there is the opportunity for life, but it's only good news if you know that you need it. It's only good news for you if you come to the recognition that you need salvation in Jesus. So on to that good news. Because of Adam, we all return to dust. But the second thing is this. Because of Jesus, we can return to life. Because of Jesus, we return to life. You see, we couldn't work our way into eternal life. There's no way we could go from imperfect to perfect just by doing enough good things. There's no way we could earn the favor of God, and so none of us can get into heaven. God doesn't owe us eternal life just because we were good people. None of us could, could get out of our hopeless state. We're like the, the patriots at 28-3, a seemingly impossible situation. We could not get out of it. The patriots not a perfect example. They actually got out of it. But, but unlike the patriots, we couldn't get out of it. We have dug ourselves a hole that we could not escape from. So God had to make a way for us to receive eternal life. God had to make a way for us to change our fate. So 2,000 years ago, God himself came to earth to make that way for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, fully God and fully man. And he lived a perfect, sinless life, something you and I have never done and never could do. But he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he offered himself on a cross to die for our salvation. So that when his blood was poured out, his perfect, clean, pure blood was poured out, it could cover over us. And so in God's eyes, we are righteous. In God's eyes, we are redeemed. In God's eyes, we are no longer rebellious sinners. In God's eyes, we are now his family. But the death of Jesus on its own is not enough to save us. The death of Jesus by itself doesn't change our fate. 
Because death still reigns in the world. Because of sin, death still reigns in our bodies. We are still dying. We are still decaying. And nothing is going to change that. And if the sinless, spotless Son of God couldn't escape death, if death reigned even over Jesus, then what hope do we have of eternal life? That's why the the death of Jesus wasn't alone. The death of Jesus wasn't an isolated act. Paul tells us just a few verses earlier, he says, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then your hope is in vain. Your hope is futile. And you're still in your sins. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it shows that death still reigns in our world and death still reigns over us. But we find out in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Jesus did rise again. The the death of Jesus wasn't an isolated event because three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb. Three days later, the Son of God got up and instead of returning to dust, instead of decaying and rotting, instead of spending forever separated from God, the Son of God got up from the grave and entered eternal life. Never to die again. And we see at the second part of verse 20, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What he means by that is that he was the first of many. That those who place their faith in Jesus, like Jesus, can get up from the tomb and can enter eternal life in the kingdom of God. That death does not hold claim over the people who have placed their faith in Jesus. That eternal life is available. Look with me, continuing on in verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong in Christ. What he means is that those who place their faith in Jesus for salvation, those who trust in him, to save him. Those who, those who turn, uh, turn from their sins and turn to Jesus for salvation will be given the gift of eternal life in Christ. And like Jesus, they can walk out of the tomb. What does that eternal life look like? Look with me in verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Eternal life in the kingdom of God looks like a kingdom with perfect justice, where nobody can hurt you, where nobody can cause you pain. The uh, the eternal life in the kingdom of God looks like a kingdom with no enemies of God. Which means there is nobody who is against you and nobody will tempt you or try to get you to do things that are not best for you. Eternal life in the kingdom of God means a kingdom without sin and brokenness, a kingdom that isn't marred by all of the problems that sin has caused in the world. A kingdom, it is a kingdom without death because death has been eradicated because Christ has overcome death, which means all of the pain and the misery and the decay and the sorrow and the torment, everything that we have come to view as normal in our world, it is all done away with, and we have a perfect paradise. The way it was created in the first place, eternal life in the kingdom of God looks like paradise. It looks like true life. 
where we experience from God the blessings and the joy and the peace that he wants to pour out upon us in limitless measure. You and I can walk out of the grave because of Jesus. Not even death can keep us from our eternal life in Christ. Not even returning to the dust can keep us from our eternal life in Christ because when Jesus comes back, those who have placed their faith in him will rise from the dead, will be given glorified bodies, and will live forever in the eternal kingdom of God. Eternal life is available for you. I had a friend in college. He was having a really hard time in life. He, had con- he was very reflective, and he had come to the point where he, he thought a lot about and recognized the, the fact that death was, was imminent. Would not be the next day, may not be the next month, but at some point in his life, he was going to die. Uh, he, came, he came to the point where, where he, he wrestled with that fact and decided that, yeah, that's, that's my lot. <laughs> One day, I'm going to return to the dust, and he was sad about it. He, he was stressed and anxious about it all the time. And, and in order to deal with the stress and the anxiety, uh, he turned to drugs. He turned to alcohol. Uh, and when he was high, when he was drunk, uh, he didn't have any fear. He didn't have any worries. He didn't have to think about mortality. <laughs> he just, he could just be. The problem is he, he became an addict and an alcoholic. So he kept using more and more. He kept drinking more and more often. It got to the point where every day after work, he would drive to the store, he'd pick up a bottle of vodka, and he'd drive home, and he would drink it until he passed out. And he'd rinse and repeat the next day. His friend and I got together uh, every couple of weeks, and we would just talk. We'd, we'd get, meet over dinner, and we would talk. And, and because of his thoughts, because of what he was thinking about, uh, oftentimes we would talk about Life. We would talk about eternal life and death and what, what's, what happens after death. I would have those conversations. And one day, as we were talking, I mentioned the fact that those who die separated from Christ, those who die as rebels against God, will spend forever separated from God. And he thought about that fact for a second, and he, he looks up at me and he goes, That, sound, that sounds fair. It seems about right. That as a rebel against God, as someone who's, who's rejected him, that he would treat me that way. And, and how many of us see as clearly as him, right? Like, like oh, most of us try to justify ourselves and say, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. Like, I, I'm a good person. God owes me eternal life. Like, God owes me heaven because I've been such a good person. But he saw clearly that he was headed for dust. And that as someone who had sinned against God, he was headed for eternal separation from God. I told him that that's not the end of the story. I told him that there's eternal life available in Jesus, that Jesus got out of the tomb, and like Jesus, we can rise from the grave and spend forever in the eternal kingdom of God, experiencing all joy and all life and all peace, all because God loved us enough to send us on Jesus to die for us and to rise from the grave for us. And my friend sat across from me at the restaurant sobbing, because he recognized the love and the grace of God. He said, how could, some, how could God love someone like me? How could God die for someone like me? And he sat there and he prayed to place his faith in Jesus. He, he knew that in that moment, he would go from death to life. He knew that in that moment, not even, not even death and returning to the dust could keep him from his eternal life in Jesus. 
The journey was hard, but he, he eventually stopped using altogether, and, and he dramatically scaled back his drinking. And he, he walked around, instead of in this, this solemn daze, he, he walked around with vibrancy and joy and life. Because he knew that nothing could take away the eternal life he had in Jesus. That nothing would change the fact that one day Christ will come back and he'll walk out of the grave and experience eternal life for all of eternity. He will experience the kingdom of God and the blessings of God and the peace and the joy of God forever. My friend recognized that because of Adam, he was going to return to dust. But he came to know that because of Jesus, he can walk out of the grave and return to life. This morning, some of you here need to learn what my friend learned. This morning, some of you here need to experience going from death to life. Some of you here need to change your fate. And the offer is available by the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you turn from your sin, if you repent of your rebellion against God, and you turn to him and say, God, you are my king, you are my Lord, and you trust in Jesus to save you, for his blood to cover over you, to make you righteous before God, and for his resurrection to, to, uh, that you can follow with it, that you can share in his resurrection from the grave and his victory over death. If you'll trust in Jesus, you will receive and experience eternal life. Some of you this morning need your own Easter. <laughs> need your own moment of going from death to life so that you can share in the eternal kingdom of God with us. Will you join us in the kingdom of God? In just a second, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to enter into eternal life, give you an opportunity to have a discussion about what it means to follow Jesus. And so while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. I would love, if that's you, and you know you want eternal life this morning, you know that you need to follow Jesus for the very first time, I invite you to come up. I would love to just pray with you, and then there are people that would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. There's no pressure. It's not uh, no weird religious rituals that are going to take place. It's just a conversation. But it's the most important conversation you will ever have. Because it's the kind of conversation that can change your life forever. And it's the kind of conversation that can change your eternal fate. So if that's you this morning, do not leave here without knowing and sharing in the resurrection of Jesus and his triumph and victory over the grave. As we sing, I'd love for you to come talk with me. and Let me pray over you and talk with some about what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the eternal life that's available through your Son, Jesus. I thank you that we have hope and joy and peace because of Jesus and that we can know that one day we will share in Christ's victory over the grave, that he has gone before us as evidence that we will join him. And I thank you for the joy and the hope and the life that you produce in us. God, I thank you for the love and the grace that you have for us, that we, as sinners, as rebels, as people who rejected you, God, you sent your own son to die for us because of how much you love us. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that does not know you, does not, uh, has not entered into eternal life, 
Father, I pray this morning would be the morning when they share in your victory. I pray this morning would be the morning where eternal life rings out in this building as people go from death to life. Father, we love you and praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.